Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, I'm Lucy Pasha Robinson, opinion editor at HuffPost. Welcome back to Chronic. Today, I'm speaking with extremely funny man Robin Hatcher, a comedian and MS Society ambassador about coming to terms with his diagnosis during lockdown. We'll be talking about coping with uncertainty, the importance of gaining a no-fucks-given attitude, and how to plan for the future when you're living with a degenerative condition. Robin, hello. Hello, how's it going? Good, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. No, thank you for having me on. It's really, really nice to be here uh, doing something a bit different mid-lockdown mid too. I'm doing the classic sort of Zoom podcast thing where I've got the top <laughs> half looks almost presentable, but the bottom half, I'm not going to lie, Lucy, it is pyjamas. So let's not... He's not wearing pants. <laughs> There's the knee, you can see. There's proof. <laughs> That's a good start. Exactly. So you're joining me today because you were diagnosed with MS last year. And just to start, I think that there's a certain image that perhaps one has of MS and that it might be someone who is wheelchair bound or has some sort of level of cognitive impairment, perhaps in their 50s, probably more often male. You're in your 20s managing your symptoms pretty well by the sounds of it. So it's a vastly different picture. I get the impression there's a big education gap there. Yeah, I think that's fair. It's interesting that for, for you, the the a sort of image of somebody with MS is a typically a male person because actually MS is sort of about two thirds women. Um, it's it's really predominantly a female condition and uh, men are very much in the minority. Um, but you're right that the public perception is generally older people with more advanced MS. And I think that's because the symptoms of MS, much like any sort of degenerative condition, become more clear as you start going through them. You know, you, you start off suffering with uh, maybe more invisible symptoms and then bit by bit they get uh, a little bit more um, serious as things go on. So I, at the moment, I'm in the very, very early stages of my MS journey, as it were. I only got diagnosed, like you said, last year. And so all of my symptoms are um, completely invisible at the moment, but I'm constantly aware that that might not always be the case. It could it could be that in as, as little as six months or as many as, you know, 30 years, things change for me. Um, but that's just very much part of the process of MS. And I think something that would be really useful for just the, the general public who don't know a great deal about MS to, to know is that it is such a, a spectrum condition. It's such a varied thing. And so the image of somebody with MS in a wheelchair isn't necessarily correct. It could be in some condition, in some sort of cases, but not necessarily for everybody. But <laughs> regardless of that, it it really sucks, let me tell you. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's just such a varied condition that affects people in so many different ways. Interesting that I have such a uh, warped view of what MS looks like. So that's great to have a bit more background. Um, new research from the MS Society, which came out yesterday, found that MS is now considered to be the most common progressive neurological condition in young people today, with one in five people diagnosed with MS being under 30. Is that something that's becoming more common as we understand more about the disease? Yeah, well, I think um, it's difficult to know exactly why that's happening. But I think I think that the 
the diagnosis process is much more, it's sort of much more aggressive now. So when I got diagnosed, my neurologist uh, called me to, to give me my diagnosis rather than meeting in the flesh to do it. Um, and at the time, I was a little bit sort of shocked that he'd done that. But the reason for it was that in order to start treatment and to start, you know, doing something to fight the disease, you have to have your diagnosis. 10 years ago, there were no treatments, there was nothing you could do. So they just used to kind of not really rush it unless it was really, really affecting you day to day. So maybe you, you know, you were suffering with mobility issues or cognitive function like you said then they would tell you nice and quick so in terms of like as the condition is progressing in in sort of research and science it's a really good time to be an ms patient guys that's what i'm saying there's more and more that they can do which means that people are getting diagnosed earlier and earlier because they're being more aggressive in their diagnosis process i think i suppose there's also an interesting sort of ethical consideration i suppose about patient autonomy over their own care and yeah so a friend of my mum is in her late 60s now and she's had ms for about 45 years but she only found out 15 years ago so she got diagnosed in her in her late 20s, much like I did. Uh, and this would have been, you know, whatever, like, you know, 40 years ago, 30 years ago. And she was just just the doctor was like, yeah, well, you know, never mind, not, not to worry, didn't say anything. And then she went back recently, about 10 years ago, with some developed symptoms. And she's like, listen, this has been a problem forever, but I, I, I've never really known what the matter is. And the doctor apparently took a look at a note and she went, oh, well, obviously you have got MS. So it's probably that. And she was like, I have. I have what now? <laughs> and she had no idea. And, and no one had told her. No one had told her for like 20 years. She had no idea. And so, and now she's she's still doing okay. So like, in, as I said, it's such a spectrum condition that it affects people in such varied ways. So um, she does something which she calls recharging her legs, which is when she's out having a walk or whatever, going around the town, it, she'll reach a point where she can't carry on anymore because her legs get fatigued and she feels tired. So she has a little sit, has a coffee, and then she's fine. She gets up and goes. So she has a little recharge moment. That's just a good example of how how varied the condition can be she's had it for 40 years and for half of that time didn't know anything about it so God, um, that's so shocking wow yeah so um you found out over the phone i can't imagine how kind of arresting that news must have been delivered not face to face how did you how did you take that yeah it was a really interesting time actually so i live i now live in brighton um but i'm originally from a, a town in called saffron Walden, which is near cambridge and i i'd just gone home for a bit of time to do some work at, at actually the secondary school that i used to go to and i was staying at my nan's house and so i was sort of surrounded with 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 things from my childhood my little brother was there my mum was there my nan was there and uh, i got the call and it was my doctor and i went upstairs finished the call and to be honest I, it, it didn't it just didn't sink in for like the first I would say three days, nothing. Just didn't really think, just didn't make any sense to me. I was like, well, this is not a thing. I don't worry about it. Think about it later. And then on the third day, I had like definitely the lowest day since I've been diagnosed because it just sort of all hit me at once. Because I think there's something about going into a doctor's office and going for something like, you know, when you go for tests and, and you get called to the office, then you go in in a certain frame of mind being like, well, there's something is important I'm about to be told here. It's probably not the best news. It's probably something that I need to work on um, or something that could be wrong. Um, but you don't get that when you're having a cup of tea in Nan's house playing a card game with your little brother. But in hindsight, I'm very glad that that's how I found out because my neurologist was saying on the phone, he said, you know, it's, it's a six week wait to see me and I wouldn't be able to diagnose you. So I was actually on medication 
before the date would have come round that I would have been diagnosed. So it just meant I, I started, I cracked on, and then that sort of feels like that's three months I then gained in terms of the process of getting used to it and uh, learning how I want to live. The mental battle is is often harder than the physical battle, is staying positive and staying, staying pepped up and ready to fight it and ready to do what you can. So one of the things I always think is like, well, it, it, could, be, it could be worse. Mm. And so I spend some time, if I'm feeling a bit low, being like, well, how could this be worse? And very quickly you get loads of ways and you go, cool, then it's fine (laughs) and and that mental battle that that you talk about must have been extremely intense heading into the covid crisis because i know after your your diagnosis when covid hit you basically had to spend 12 weeks of that first lockdown completely by yourself how did that experience affect the way you process that diagnosis yeah it uh it was it was really interesting to start with because I felt almost grateful that it happened because suddenly everybody in the country is concerned about their health, right? So you're no longer alone in in being really anxious about about what's going on with the health service and what's going on with your own personal health. Everybody's worried about it. And then as it went on, I I started using that that time as a time to reflect on how I want to be with MS. I, I don't want to be an MS patient first. I want to be everything else I am first and then an MS patient right at the very end. So I I, I had a long think and sort of created guidelines and ways that I want to be. So one of the things I really got into, I've always been relatively active, but uh, all of the research pins exercise is really good for MS. It keeps it at bay for longer. So I was like, cool, that's a medical thing now. It's not just... I want to I want to go for a run because I probably should. And I set up sort of other coping mechanisms like I keep a running score of how often I beat MS and how often it beats me. And it can be small things like if I'm having a bad day, it can be like getting up and going making dinner or it can be something bigger. So during lockdown, I, I ran a, my first ever half marathon. And so that was a really big one. But still only one point. You can't you can't game the system. That <laughs> so that's helping because it it's a tally. It's a yep, I've won that. I've won that. I've won that. And if I keep thinking that way, then it feels difficult for MS to ever win because I can turn every time I think it's beating me into a point for me. So it feels like now I can turn any loss into a victory, whether MS wants me to or not, which is fun. (laughs) That's amazing. I I suppose a lot of people, you know, whether they live with chronic illness or not, won't have that style of thinking. Have you liked that change in perspective? Yeah, yes, I have. Like, I think the perception of me has always been that I'm a relatively positive person, but I I have never actually felt like one. I've always been relatively cynical in my actual brain. Like, Mm -hmm. I I, I portray a really, you know, uh, bubbly and and happy, excited person. But inside, I'm like, well, that is shit, isn't it? Like, let's not muck about. Uh, But... I feel like the way that I have been portraying myself has now become the way that my brain actually works. And I think that's because um, what's the alternative? Like for me, what, what what's the alternative? I, I've got two choices. I can either um, accept it and 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 know that I have MS now and do everything I can to beat it, but, but just accept that that's who I am. That's part of my life now. Or I can not do that. And if I don't do that, what do I do? I just sit on the sit down all the time i, I don't know it, it just doesn't feel like that would be a way to live and what I, I the thing is i also completely understand that not everybody would want to approach it that way i think I, i've been a bit bull in a china shop with it and just been like right let's have it come on what can we do how can how can i fight it what can i what can i achieve but i don't necessarily think that, that would be right for everybody but for me certainly it's really helped my yeah my mindset moving into it i guess mm-hmm. When you were diagnosed, did you start telling people straight away? Yeah. No, I told everyone like immediately, like really, really, really quickly and suddenly. The main reason for that is I didn't want 
I hated those conversations. They were some of the worst times for me with MS is telling people who I love um, that this is my new situation because I don't want to feel like an object of pity. And that is that's something that really I really like makes me feel very very like i just don't like it it makes me close up and feel um kind of useless before the day was out i told all of my close friends i told my work colleagues and my partner and my family a lot of people with ms discuss almost like a a process of revealing it to to loved ones and to family members and things like that and i'm sure this is true for people living with all sorts of chronic conditions sort of a few of my closest friends sort of text me after i'd said and they were like are you sure you want to tell everybody because once you've told everyone everyone knows it's like yeah i don't care it's my condition i'll do what i want with it it's nobody's job to tell you how to do it do it the way that you want to do it because it's your condition it's your body and it's your life and i enjoyed that process of telling everybody quickly because it meant that then i could stop having those conversations unless i wanted to have them unless i needed to have them or unless somebody who i love wanted to have them and be like what does this mean for you how how is this going to change Mm-hmm. So I was diagnosed with endometriosis in 2014. And obviously, that does not have the same implications as an MS diagnosis. But it did mean I was in and out of hospital a lot and having surgeries. And people had all kinds of ideas about what that would mean for me and my future and things. And that was one of the hardest things I found about telling people the instant judgments they were making about what that would mean. Were there any difficult conversations that you encountered, I suppose, when you when you were telling people? Well, <laughs> my my nan is is wicked. She's like one of my close relationships. I love her to the ends of the earth. She's she's a lady of a certain age. She's uh, nearly 90. And so she doesn't um, she doesn't mince words any, <laughs> anymore. And <laughs> she was the first person I told. I came downstairs. My nan was there. I was a bit like, oh, I just found out this. And the first thing she said went, well, you'll have to start giving up all this performance nonsense then, won't you? And I was like, <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ, Nan. Like, really? Like, just to, like, stick the knife in away. a bit more. <laughs> straight away. Um, <laughs> but, so that one was an interesting one. Uh, having the conversation with my partner was was really hard, my, my girlfriend Katie. That was hard because I think I don't want to be a burden upon her. I want our relationship to be an equal thing that um, sometimes I need help, sometimes she needs help, but but we get through it together. And now if, if there is a constant cause of burden that I am. And at, um, at the beginning of, the, of my diagnosis, I felt that really keenly, like this is going to be a burden on you and it's my fault. As I've gone through that and I've spoken to her and she's, you know, refuted that, it's become clear that that is not true. But that was the hardest moment for me I think I think as well because um I enjoy being positive and excitable and 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 having a fun relationship and it felt like oh maybe this is going to take away some elements of that and I, I think that's probably the case for most people who sort of get diagnosed with something potentially degenerative who are in a long-term relationship because it's it's not just me that's got that diagnosis she's kind of got it as well now because she's going to have to live with it um so that was a tricky one really mm. Do you think that there there was an element also to adjusting how you view yourself in that process, like the change of identity and how that might impact on your relationship? I, I think that worrying that she was going to think of me as a burden was when I was feeling like I was definitely going to be one. And so I was projecting what I believed about what my future was going to be onto her interpretation of what I am, if that makes sense. So I thought that I was going to be a burden and be a pain in the ass for everybody's life. And so I was worried about that being my defining characteristic for the rest of my life. She's, she doesn't feel that way at all. And I, and I know that now. It took me a while and sort of, we still have conversations where I, 
you know, have to seek reassurance about that and be like, if this happens, is what should we do about it? But she's great at just being like, well, it hasn't happened yet. So let's not worry about that just just now. We can talk mm. about that in 10 years time. And she's absolutely right. And the worry with MS is definitely the worst part about the condition because you don't know what's going to happen to you day to day. Um, mm. And so if you can if you can avoid the worry and just deal with the problems as they arise... You're making your condition so much easier to manage. It sounds like you've you've come a long way in the past year. Obviously, your your diagnosis is still really fresh. You only you're only diagnosed almost exactly a year ago. When we spoke last time, when we caught up on our pre-production call, I think we talked about how the diagnosis changes your outlook in certain areas of your life. And I can imagine with MS, there's something quite urgent about having that sort of change in attitude. How has that manifested for you? So I suppose. <laughs> I haven't got time to to muck about with with it's the line isn't it between acquaintances good friends family loved ones uh and that line now is much more pronounced for me there are some people who are acquaintances of mine and that's fine I can have good time friends who I want to go to the pub with and have a nice time and not talk about anything at all and that's cool but I'm not going to stress about that I'm not going to stress about making um about them worrying about me uh, uh, my condition and things like that they can remain good time friends and those who i was hoping potentially would come through a little bit more and haven't you just reach a certain point where you're like well fuck it i'm not gonna i'm not gonna chase it anymore because what's the point like there's there's so much so many more things i can now worry about there's also loads of people who have been there and really really helped me and they are the people i want to give my best years to they're the people i want to spend my time with i'm not going to stress about what other people think i should be doing or i'm not going to stress about the way that other people perceive me and that's one of those things that you get told at school isn't it like it doesn't matter what they think they always say that it doesn't Mm. matter what what they think don't worry about what they think and you spend all of your time doing the exact opposite of that and worrying (laughs) about what they're thinking yeah but but it turns out that Mr. Nevin was spot on. <laughs> I shouldn't worry about that. And it makes you sound callous. I don't know if you worry about this as well, but it makes me worried that I sound like a bit of a dick. I'm just like, well, it doesn't matter. Screw it, whatever. I also sometimes worry I'm being a dick, but I kind of like it <laughs> <laughs> that I've got this excuse to be less tolerant. It frees up a lot of headspace and time for more important things. You're, that's totally what it is though that's that's the end game isn't it that's the result you're looking for when you're in bed you've got enough to worry about if you've got a chronic condition like I, i've got stuff like yesterday i was in hospital for a few hours i have to worry about doing that the side effects of the drugs you know how my legs are feeling my diet all of this stuff i just can't be bothered to worry if i've upset somebody by saying i'm sorry i'm too tired to come for coffee i just couldn't give a shit anymore and uh it's really freeing (laughs) i think it's really great and i think it's really important for people to hear that because it can be such a struggle not to fall into sort of an ableist way of thinking that you know oh i'll just push through and i'll try and do everything and i'll try and please everyone which is i I, in my experience highly unsustainable but there were moments where you weren't always so sure how uh, what kind of sacrifices you would have to make i'm thinking about specifically your career here tell me tell me a bit more about that yeah so i'm a physical so i'm an improvised comedian i'm with a company called the noise next door and uh, we work as a four traveling around the country gigging and so obviously the hours are unreliable and certainly unsociable you know we gig when everybody else is out having a good time uh we gig late we're very very physical we drive and we travel all over the country all the time um and there was and still is a 
a concern in the back of my mind that I might not always be able to do that. Whenever I've, I've raised that concern with uh, with people, it's often like, well, d- you know, don't worry about that because, you know, you could get hit by a bus tomorrow. And that is true. Like, of course you could. And that would obviously be terrible. But I think the difference is it's the difference between being told you could get hit by a bus tomorrow and you, 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 you probably will get hit by a bus tomorrow. I think it's, it's that sort of difference. And so it's like, yes, I'm not going to worry about it right now because it isn't right now. But with a career, unlike... Um, unlike other things like, you know, social plans or, you know, how I'm going to manage day to day. That is something that actually requires a little bit of forethought, because if I want to retrain, I'm a comedian. Like I am not currently hireable. <laughs> OK, <laughs> I need to get some qualifications in me quick <laughs> if I want to retrain to do something. Um, and that's been like a, a my main concern is just like, what happens if I can't do this? I think it would have really, really badly affected my diagnosis process if I had to give up the job that I've worked really hard for and as long as I can do that I want to do that because that's who I am that's a bigger part of my personality than my MS and actually today I've been thinking about that quite a lot I went for a run this morning and I like to you know listen to music and have a think about things when I'm on my run and it's sort of like who knows and, and like I said before the worst bit about MS is just the not knowing um so that is something that mm-hmm. still is on my mind. Mm-hmm. Have there been other areas of your life where you've had to refocus and think about things earlier or in a different way than than you might have otherwise done? Uh, yeah, for, sh- for sure. Yeah. So the main one that really springs to mind is sort of having a family. So being able to go for walks in the forest and and and, you know, take the kids to whatever it might be to dance class or to drama or whatever the thing is that I'm doing. I want to be able to be physically present for those things. And at the moment, I definitely can be at the moment. And certainly, you know, fingers crossed, touch all the wood in the next five years, I'll be able to do those things as well. So it's just accelerated that process from a thing that is that's a future. That's when I'm a real grown up sort of problem to okay no I actually do need to do this Uh, you know I'm turning 30 next year that'll be I'll have had MS for two years and um, I feel like I need to crack on with that sort of thing. Is that something that feels exciting for you and your partner to be having those conversations earlier or is it something like god I've got to have these conversations earlier because uh, I've got the weight of the future hanging over me yeah my partner's been keen to have kids she's the most maternal person I know she's gonna be a great mum but she she (laughs) she has like I think she was kind of happy I think she was like get in he's got MS and now he wants kids already get in (laughs) (laughs) and uh, so I'm I'm not saying that she gave it to me but listen if I'm pointing fingers (laughs) I uh, because I have a gynecological condition that was something that like I had to start thinking about much earlier than I would have like to my partner was like really great about it and was able to have those kind of conversations earlier on as well I think other people might have like balked at the idea but yeah I I had a big surgery in March and my third like big surgery let's try and get pregnant and um yeah and now I'm six months pregnant oh (laughs) congratulations thank you amazing yeah, and and it's funny because like I think with like pregnancy and like family planning and stuff like you have this idea of oh you'll just like ease into it when the time is right. And like sometimes life doesn't happen like that. I think it's it's whilst the process of getting diagnosed has made me speed up in that. I di- I don't think I'd have ever been truly ready. I don't think I'd have ever had a moment where I go today's the day. Today's the day we have a family. So uh yeah. So moving on a little bit. So I know you're your dad and sister are both dealing with neuro- neurological conditions too. How does it feel to go through something that 
so closely related to what they've been experiencing. Has that has that been helpful in some ways or, or, or difficult? Uh, sort of an, a, an even split, I would say, of both. So my, my dad had, had something called uh, Guillain-Barre syndrome, but it means that my dad is uh, a good person to talk to because he has literally lived through it, albeit kind of in reverse. He got really suddenly very, very ill and then slowly got better. And my sister is still in the process because neurological conditions are so notoriously difficult to diagnose. They're still not 100% certain what it is, like what's wrong with her. And so one thing I do acutely understand is the fear of not knowing what it is because I was there a year ago. And so I hope that I can provide a good sounding board and I can be a good set of ears to listen because I know that when I was worried, the most useful thing that somebody could do was just listen to the fact that I was worried about it. I didn't really need somebody to say, well, it won't be that because of this. It could be this. It could be this. I just didn't really need that. I kn- <laughs> when you're like potentially ill, you know all of the potential things it could be. You just need to say them so that somebody else has got the knowledge that you are worried you might have MS or you are worried you might have spinal cancer or whatever it might be. And so I'm trying to be that for my sister and just sort of be a a support and hopefully a role model if she does find that she has got something that, that might alter her way of life and maybe she's, she has got a chronic condition. I want to be able to support her through that and we can do it together. Like we'll be a, we're a team. And so, you know, a love's pieces and hopefully we'll be able to, as we get old, we'll be able to look after each other, you know, from a place of inf- mutual understanding and informed position rather than just hoping that we're saying the right thing. We, we love a neurological condition in my family. <laughs> so uh, it's sort of like our, our trump card, really. It's sort of our, our special attack. <laughs> um, Is that something that you worry about when you think about having kids? Yeah, it's one of my biggest worries, really. Um, one of the things that gets me through that is that first of all there is no significant link where there's a 50% chance or a 20% chance so if there was a really significant link then there would be evidence to suggest that um i think one of the things that gets me through though is the the, the advances scientifically and medically that is happening so the ms society currently has got a campaign in place where they believe they will be able to stop ms by 2025 so they're raising money in order to do that it doesn't mean you'll be cured of ms but it will stop the MS progression. You you will not suffer any further symptoms from MS. So we're on such a a brink of something so exciting within within the industry. So I have faith that when I'm in a position where my kid is maybe 20, 30 years old and is maybe beginning the process of having MS, that there will be something so much more profound in place to help people in in 30 years' time. That's amazing. I didn't realise it was such a short time span. That's incredible. And of course, it's important to say as well that MS isn't, I mean, you you touched on it also, but that MS isn't a hereditary condition. No. It's not something that is passed down from, from parent to child. But um, I think what's been really striking in, in what you've said so far is is about the uncertainty of living with uh, with MS. How often do you experience that sort of what-if syndrome? And how do you counteract that? I think... In terms of coming to terms with my diagnosis, the one thing that I still notice in myself sometimes is a little bit of denial, uh, a little bit of like, well, I'm all right. And then I have to, when I feel that, I have to be like, no, remember that you're, you're not all right and be okay with that. Don't, don't, mm. don't just say you're fine. You're exactly the same as you were before, because that's not true. And then that is only going to cause you damage moving forward. That's interesting what you say about denial, because um, in my experience, people either really work hard to accept it and do a lot of that emotional work I suppose to to come to terms with it or they vacillate between total denial and periods of sort of crisis when they're having to confront the symptoms of their of their illness I think I probably shift between the two 
probably more on the side of acceptance now just because I'm I was diagnosed more than six years ago now but but that was definitely a process so I was chatting to my my nurses the other day actually and and one of them said something which I'd never heard before but apparently it's medically accepted that it will take five years to process and accept fully a diagnosis of, of a chronic condition that will change your life forever and she was like and you're interesting because you seem to be fine already and I was like and I think I I think I am but then one of the interesting things about denial is am I or <laughs> or am I am I am I accepting that I've got MS but not acknowledging the emotional response to that I I don't know I I think I'm okay because I've had moments of you know serious low moments where I I feel like oh, I was dealing with some stuff there and I've pulled myself through it and the way I've done that is through positivity and trying to be and trying to be positive and not for anybody else it's not to be like I don't want anybody being like, oh, when he brave, when he done well, when he, oh, when he good. <laughs> I'm not interested in that. It's for me. It's it's because I find positivity easier than negativity. Maybe I'm maybe maybe got something fun around the corner that I don't you know I don't know about yet. That <laughs> one day I'm just going to be you know having a problem with accepting it again. But I hope not. Okay, so I'm going to come on to our final question now because we've been chatting for ages. It's the time has flown by. It's, it certainly has. Oh. Let's do it. Let's do it again. Let's, let's do another one. A sequel. Are you free tomorrow? And I'm free. I'm free all day. I'm, Lucy, I'm free all the time. What are you talking about? I'm, I'm, I'm a comedian in lockdown. <laughs> Very good. So, so this question we asked all of our guests, and it is quite simply, what does living well mean to you now? Living well to me is the mindset. It's it's the it's it's the it's the headspace and the way that you decide to be. Now there are so many tricks and tips that you can find on MS blogs and and you know things that work for people and things that don't um, in terms of diet and exercise regimes and mindfulness and meditation and all sorts of things. But really, that comes down to the mind, the, the, to the way that you feel about it. It's doing what you want to do and acknowledging that. For me, it's been positivity. If I can remain positive, I'm living well because I'm not letting the worry and the fear of what may be creep into what currently is. And that, for me, is the most important thing. It means that I'm winning. It means I'm beating the condition because whilst I'll never beat it medically, I'll never not have it, I can I can own it. It can be mine. And there's a, sent there's a saying within the MS community, which I read early in my MS journey, which was just so helpful to me, which is that... Um, I have MS, but MS doesn't have me. And I think that is just, that completely encapsulates the way that I want to deal with my condition. Uh, so living well for me is owning it then all of the other stuff will follow. I, I take so many tips from these conversations. Honestly, yeah. it's like, it's, it's basically just like personal therapy for me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Every me too. week. Wow, Robin, thank you for coming on. Oh, well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. If people want to hear more about you, where can they find you? Uh, they can find my, my work at, uh, at Noise Next Door on all the social medias. Um, on Twitter, I'm at Orange Next Door. And also on the MS Society website, I'm writing bits and pieces for them every now and then. So I'll be popping up on there. Excellent. Yeah. And if, if people want to find out more about MS or how MS affects young people, for example, they can head over to www.mssociety.org.uk. And to all of you listening, please do rate, subscribe and get in touch. We do absolutely love to hear from you. Thank you so much, Robin. You've been amazing. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com.